And now, open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel according to Luke. And you can look on the screens. Remember, all of it's on the screens. If you bring your own Bibles, you know what you can do, right? You make your own notes in it, and you can look back over the years, see what God was doing. But we put it on the screens. makes it easy to follow along. We have uh, an opportunity here to look at something really, I think, in, in a different way, in a very deep way, in a very deep biblical, biblical way today, unlike what maybe you've heard in the past. Jesus has just come into town, right? His last time in. He's just a few days away from the cross. So last week we preached on the triumphal entry, remember? Now this is the temple cleansing. But I want to, I want to tell you something on the front end so that you can be clear. This is, this is not, listen to me very carefully, this is not about righteous indignation. Jesus is not attempting a, a, a reform in the temple by driving out the money changers and those who are selling the sacraments. That's not what this is. You can look at that and you can use that and you can preach a sermon on it and it's certainly there. But I'm going to show you something that's deeper than that, that's much deeper than that, that's built upon deep Jewish Christian scholarship so that we can see what this passage is really designed to teach us. Because remember, it's in the flow of what? It's in the flow of everything we've been preaching from the beginning of the Gospel of Luke all the way to the cross, to the resurrection and the ascension. This is here for a reason. And it's designed to tell us something far greater than Jesus is angry. And he's going to now reform this portion of Jewish worship in the... T that's no. It is so much deeper than that. Okay, you ready? Let's take a look at the passage. It's very brief. For every brief, 45 to 48. 45 to 48. <clears throat> Hear now the word of God. Then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple. But the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet... They could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant and fallible word. Let's pray together. Father, it's no accident we're here, everyone, by divine design, which means you have something to speak into each heart. Speak now through this broken vessel. Make it a word of salvation for the unsaved, comfort for those in storm winds, and rest for the tired, weary, and heavy laden. No one came here excited to hear the imagination of a man, but they hunger and they thirst for the revelation of God. May that thunder forth from this pulpit. Give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. Come, <clears throat> now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Okay, I want to show you something before I show you the first three, the, the three points that we're going to preach on so that you can get an understanding of what this passage is all about. And this comes from very deep Christian and Jewish scholarship. What did the temple? You have to get a picture of the understanding of the temple. Where did the, where did the temple start? Where did, where did the temple start? When you understand what the temple is. It didn't start in, in, in the Old Testament tabernacle. You go all the way back to the garden. right? And the garden is the picture of the temple of God. Right? And where's the completion of that? We see that in Revelation. And when Jesus comes back, he's the true temple. Okay, so you see this whole golden thread that runs all through Scripture. But this temple had a specific meaning. And there were four primary points of Jewish belief about the temple. And if we understand those points, then this passage takes on new, deeper meaning for us. 
other than righteous indignation and a reform in, 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 in the way they were operating in, in the temple. That's not what it is. Take a look. You know the first one. You probably won't know the second. You'll know the third and the fourth. It's the dwelling place of God, so that you know. God says, yes, set up a place, even though there's no place that can contain me, but set up a place for me, and I will dwell there with you as my people. So we know that this is the dwelling place of God. Number two, you may not be familiar with this. This is the microcosm of heaven and earth. Okay, Josephus. Josephus is a first century Jewish Roman historian, and he writes in the Wars of the Jews, on the temple veil was depicted the panorama of the heavens. In Psalm 78, we see that God instructed the building of the temple and on the walls and in the veil to be what? The temple to be a microcosm of heaven and earth. So this was a Jewish belief about the temple. That's important when we get to the very last portion of our sermon, when you see what happens to the veil and what this whole passage is teaching us. And the next two you remember, right? It's the only place for sacrificial worship. They didn't sacrifice in the, in the synagogue. You couldn't do, you got self control If you sacrificed outside of the temple to the, to the, to the religious leaders, that would, be, that would be like child sacrifice, blasphemy. You would be excommunicated. So only the temple, only the tabernacle, that was the only place for sacrificial worship. And then, of course, that leads us to what? It's, it's got to be the only place for the sacrificial priesthood. All of that is contained in the temple. So now what happens? Now watch. Jesus saw all of these four things fulfilled in him. Now it's going to take on a deeper meaning of why he drives these money changers and these people selling out of the court of the Gentiles. Watch. You ready? I'm going to look at these three things, three points, but keep this in the back of your mind. We might bring it back up, but keep it in the back of your mind. Dwelling place of God, temple is the dwelling place, the cosmos, sacrifice, and the priesthood. All of it contained in the temple. Jesus sees it fulfilled in him. Okay? Number one. His temple reverence. He had this unbelievable reverence for the temple. But then he had this rejection for the temple. How do you square those two? In one breath he says that this is my, my father's house consumes me. And the next breath he says I'm, I'm, it's, it's going to go away. No stone will be left on top of each. How do, you, how, do you, how do you explain that? It's an incredible paradox. But we have to look at it. But when you understand the four beliefs of what the temple meant and what he's doing now in his temple cleansing, it should become very clear. And then finally, number three, listen, you ever hear sometimes people, they've got a complaint, they've got a complaint, that I'm not happy with this, I'm not happy with that. That's fine. Bring your complaint. But also bring a solution. Don't just be part of the problem. Be, be, be part of the solution. If he just rejects the temple, that's, that's not good. He doesn't come to reject the law. He comes to do what with the law? Fulfill the law. So, so what does he come to do? Fulfill the temple. All four things He's come to fulfill the presence of God. The temple is the cosmos of God as the place for sacrifice and the sacrificial priesthood. All, so he's the replacement. Okay, you ready? We're going to head out into some deep water and let our nets down for a catch. Ready? Number one, his reverence. Let's just be clear. He revered the temple. The temple mattered to Jesus. It was an important, it was, in a, it was the center of Jewish life it was the center of his life growing up. Remember where they found him when they left him behind in Jerusalem at 12? Where? Did you not know I have to be in my father's house? The reverence is overwhelming. Take a look. 45 and 46. This is right out of the passage. He entered the temple area and he began driving out those who were selling. It is written, 
When you read it is written, what, where do you look? In the New Testament or the Old? Everybody say Old, right? They had no New Testament. So he's talking about something that was in the Old Testament. And where was it? In Isaiah and in Jeremiah. This is a combination of both, both prophecies from one Isaiah, one in Jeremiah. And he says what? My, my house, my house, my house will be a house of prayer. So he's already made the claims. My house. He's speaking on behalf of God. But you've made it a den of robbers. So he's upset. And we could preach a whole sermon on that and leave it there. And it'd be legit. It'd be good. It'd be exciting. And what would it teach you? Practically, you'd go, oh, okay. It matters how we worship. It matters how we come to worship. It matters how we focus on worship. All of those things matter. We look at what's called the regulative principle. How, 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 do, how do we put a worship service together? And all the, yeah, that's, that's good. Really good. But there's, it's much deeper than that. Much deeper. Let's continue to look at his reverence, okay? The temple is the dwelling place of God. Matthew 23, 21. Anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. Who dwells in it? God. So listen to what he says. You swear by the temple, you swear by God. His reverence for the temple. 1 Kings 8, 10 to 11. What is the, let's just, just one passage from the old to make it clear, to reestablish our understanding. What was the first Jewish belief about the temple? It was the dwelling place of God. Okay? When the priest withdrew from the holy place, what happened? God showed up. The cloud filled the temple of the Lord. They couldn't work when the cloud was in there. For the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Okay, we see it? This is the reverence. And who's the glory? Jesus. Listen, let me make a point that's easily missed. The glory of the Lord departed from the temple when? About 580 years before, 575 years before, when King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple. So the glory of the Lord departed. And it had never returned. Until when? Until Jesus showed up. And they missed it. The glory of the Lord came back into the temple through Christ. He cleanses, it depends on how you read the scripture, but we preach John. We believe he did it twice. John makes it clear that he did. In John's account, in chapter 2, the disciples remember something after he cleanses the temple. What do they remember? They remember Psalm 69. And what do they say? Oh, we remember zeal for your house consumes me. The psalmist wrote that. That was a picture. The reverence that Jesus had was a picture when he cleansed the temple. Zeal for God's house consumed him. This reverence was overwhelming in his heart and in his mind. So this is all establishing the reverence that Jesus had for the temple. And then finally, Isaiah 42, 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light. Here's the key. Don't miss this. Because this is going to move us to our second point. And then finally the third point, which brings you all right into the temple. A light for what? The Gentiles. Who was Abraham to be a father to? One nation or many? Be careful. You're on the video. You're live streaming right now. So if you say the wrong thing, we're going to catch it. Father of many nations. What, was the t what, what were the people of God supposed to be in the Old Testament? A light to all of the people in the Old, Old Testament in the world who were not the people of God. That was the plan from the beginning. It was never just exclusively for one group of people. So the temple became what? A focal point. A light. To whom? Who are the Gentiles? Everyone is not a Jew. Everybody else fits into that category. So all, that's you and, and me, unless you came out of Jewish heritage. So, but you, you see the point. All of this is still tied into the Gentiles. That, that, that they're, they're, they're included here. 
And now you're going to see what happens in the court of the Gentiles in just a moment. And then you're going to get a clear picture of why Jesus does what he does. Okay, so there's our first point. Does Jesus have great reverence? Do you see it? Listen, just so you know, to a 2,000-year-old Herodian inscription, there's some stuff that archaeology digs up when we get to the court of the, temp, uh, the, the, court of the, the Gentiles in the temple. They had these stones, and, and Herod in, inscribed on those stones where the court of the Gentiles would come to an end. Remember, you, you came through the court of the Gentiles, then you go to the court of the women, and then you go to the, to the Jewish place where the men could worship in the holy place, and then the most holy, the holy of holies. There were the inscriptions, and, and a few of these stones have been discovered, and you can go online and see them. And the inscription on there said, Beware, if you go past this point, you bring upon your own death, and you're responsible for it. So, so the Gentile, remember, the temple was holy, but it wasn't as holy here with the Gentile. But as you got closer and closer and closer to the Holy of Holies, it became more and more what? More, more and more holy. Okay, So there was a place for the Gentiles here. And that's where they were, and this is where Jesus enters into first. But they weren't allowed to go past that. And you're going to see how all that changes. Okay, number two. There's his reverence. What's his rejection? Well, some of the things that he says. And we'll get back to our passage in a moment. Look at Matthew 23, 38. Look, your house, what's the house? The temple, is left to you desolate. What does that mean? Real simple. It's been forsaken by God. That's what desolate means. It's, it's going to be destroyed. So it's going to be forsaken. It's going to be rejected. It's going to be shut down. Let's take a look in the Gospel of Mark. As Jesus was leaving the temple, his disciples said, Look, teacher, what massive stones. It's a beautiful picture. Look at how beautiful this, this place is. What magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, Jesus replied? Not one stone here will be left on another. Do you know what that means? He's prophesying the destruction of the temple. Does the temple ever get destroyed? A.D. 70, you have a Jewish uprising in 66, and the Romans squash it. And in 70, Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is gone. Okay? So he's prophesying that. Now, if you're ever out and you're speaking to somebody and they want to tell you that, well, you know, there is that prophecy that Jesus says. He says there's no stones left on, on, on another, but that, that's one of the... You tell me if there's one prophecy that was not fulfilled, then you can't trust any of the prophecies of God. Is that correct, Pastor? Sure. Well, that one, he says one stone will not be left on another, and there are stones left on top of each other. Oh, is that, is that, do you think so? Oh, yes, of course. And I say, are you, you referring to what's now called the, the Western Wall? For a series of, of, of decades, it was called the Wailing Wall. You heard of the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, right, where the Jew will still go? You know, put little pieces of paper in there for their prayer request, the Wailing Wall. That Wailing Wall was not part of the temple proper. That was part of the Herodian structure that was on the outside of the temple. So the prophecy is true. But even if, even if there were, so let's say that there were some, which there were not, but there were, you could use that as a hyperbolic statement, which comes often in the genres of Scripture. But Jesus was clear. What was he saying? What was the deeper point of what he was saying? Everything the temple stood for, you know those four things? It's all going away. It's, going, it's not going to be here anymore. It's all going away. But know that that wailing wall was not part of the actual temple structure. It was the surround, and you'll see it in a moment, okay? So he's making it clear that the temple's rejected. John 4, notice how he rejects the temple here. This is a very subtle rejection, and it's veiled in himself. Take a look. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, this is the Samaritan woman that he had a divine appointment with at Jacob's well. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. What is he saying? The temple's going away. A time has come, and now 
It's here where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. What is he saying? You no longer have to go to the temple. Why? I'm the temple. You're going to come through me. And, and it'll become more clear later in the gospel accounts, right? So he's making it clear to the woman. I, I, the temple has been rejected. It's not, listen, don't miss, it's not like the temple was a bad thing. And what have we said about, what have we said about when, when, you, when you take a, was the temple a good thing? When you take a good thing and turn it into an ultimate thing, it now becomes what? A bad thing. The Jewish religious leaders took a good thing, the temple, which was only what? A sign. It was a symbol that pointed to the substance, the true temple who would come, the true high priest, the true sacrifice. The greater and true Jesus who was to come, they turned it into an ultimate thing. And because the temple became an ultimate thing in their lives, they were living for the temple and not for the one who dwelled in it. And it became what? A really, really bad thing. Okay? So we clear? We understand this rejection? He, he. Now we're back to the passage. This, now you ready? We're going to head out into a little deeper water. Let our nets down a little lower for catch. Ready? He enters the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. All right, show the picture. Oh, don't miss this. See that big massive area? Okay, now they say, they say, they say, historical documentation says that the court of the Gentiles that Herod actually struck, remember, remember the Herodian temple? He, he was the one responsible for the rebuilding of the temple, Herod. He made this massive, massive area, which was called the court of the Gentiles. They say it was over 10 football fields wide and long. So imagine the size of the court of the Gentiles. <clears throat> remember the last passage? That the temple was to be a light to whom? The Gentiles. So if you wanted to stop the sermon at righteous indignation, you could say that Jesus walked in, and you have to, in order to go into the temple, you've got to go through the court of the Gentiles. See the building down here at the bottom? That's where they were supposed to actually do the commerce. What was the commerce? People were coming from all over the known world, right? They were coming from very far places, right? The diaspora. They had to come and they had to exchange the monies that they had from where they lived in order to get a coin that would be accepted in the temple, in order to buy a sacrifice that would be accepted in the temple so that they could make a sacrifice. That all had to be done. It was commerce. It was in the marketplace. Now the Jewish religious leaders have moved the marketplace into the court of the Gentiles. What was supposed to take place in the court of the Gentiles? It was the place where the Gentiles were supposed to meet with God. So Jesus is angry, and he has a right to be angry. He says, how in the world are the Gentiles going to meet with me when you're doing business here? You have no right to do business here. They did it out of convenience. They did it because there was a massive amount of people, so it overflowed from the building areas where they had. Herod built special structures for all that to take place. They moved it closer into to the sanctuary, so they put it in the court of the Gentiles. Jesus says, no, you shouldn't have done this. So he is angry. And we could just preach that and, and, and we could close and, and, and get your response on that. How do we respond to the truth of that? But that's it's not enough. It's, it's deeper than that. What's happening in the court of the Gentiles? They're exchanging the money and they're buying sacrifices. Money must be exchanged. Sacri they, you're not going to bring your sacrifice with you if you're traveling 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, 200 miles in order to get to Jerusalem. If you bring a sacrifice with you, it's probably going to get damaged. And you have to have a sacrifice that is unblemished. So your lamb is probably going to hurt the hoof or hurt the leg. And so, so you brought your money, exchanged your money, got the appropriate temple money, used that money to buy your sacrifice. Jesus comes in and he 
turns over the tables, what happens? The sacrificial system in that moment has been what? Suspended. Stay with me. Don't miss this. And I'm going to show you some real New Testament scholarship. In order for you to sacrifice, you need to exchange your money and buy a sacrifice. Then you take your sacrifice and you have your sacrifice and, 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 and you now have your sins have been atoned for. When Jesus overturns the tables, in that moment of time, for however long it was, the sacrificial system, the reason for the temple had ceased to exist. Stay with me. It started back up again. But he goes to the cross on Friday. And that's the ultimate fulfillment of the temple. But in that moment, everything in that court of the Gentiles stopped. We don't know how far it stretched into the court, but it stopped. It was a sign that was pointing to what? The temple is going away. The sacrificial system is about to end. And all of you sacrificial priests, we are doing away with. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright puts it this way. Listen to the, well, here, there's the passage. He entered the temple and began driving them out. This is a cessation of the sacrificial system. N.T. Wright says this. The brief cessation of sacrifice fits perfectly with the idea of a symbolic action. This is not just righteous indignation. Jesus was not attempting a reform. He was symbolizing judgment. What was the meaning of overturning the tables and chasing out those who were selling the animals? Its meaning was manifest in its effect. For a brief moment, we don't know how long, he shut the temple system down. It didn't exist. And it was a sign that pointed to the truth that soon it will never exist again because it has found its fulfillment in me. And you have missed the day of your visitation. And God is patient and long-suffering, but even God himself can only take so much. And that happens every moment of every day. Where? When people breathe their last. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. If you hear my voice today, Today is a day of salvation. Tonight it might be too late. Even God himself can only take so much. And judgment must. He is just and he is the justifier. But judgment must come. And that's what the cleansing of the temple was about. It symbolized the judgment. The temple has been rejected. But we can't stop there, right? That wouldn't be good, would it? There has to be a replacement for it. What's the replacement for the temple? Let's take a look. I promise you this will really be good. Watch. First Kings 6, you've got to go back to the original temple. How was it built? What did they use? Take a look. In the building of the temple, only blocks that were dressed at the quarry were used. No hammer, no chisel, or iron tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. Okay, you have to understand what's happening here. They're taking rocks out of the quarry. What are they doing with the rocks? Nothing. They're taking the rocks, they're transporting them to the site to build the temple. Those rocks are not being shaped by human hands. Okay? Now we're going to get a vision. We're going to get a vision from Daniel. 
And we're going to see something very special in the vision for Daniel that's going to point us back to here in the original temple design. And then it's going to point us forward to what? You figured it out. Jesus. Take a look. Daniel says what? Daniel? The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Listen to this carefully. It will crush all kingdoms. So every kingdom will be crushed. His will never be destroyed. And will bring them all to an end. But it will itself endure forever. And here's the key in verse 45. This is the meaning of the vision. Of the, so he gives you the meaning of the vision. There's a rock that's cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. When you originally read that in Daniel, if you don't have the whole Bible, to get, it, it's hard to put it all together. But now you understand. You go back to the beginning, and those stones were not cut by human hands. They were used as they were, and they were put in place to build the temple. Now we see this special rock that comes out of the side of a mountain that crushes every single kingdom and will never have an end, will never, will never go away. And it was not formed by human hands. And it broke the iron and the bronze and the clay and the silver. It's the statue that represents all of the kingdoms of the world. And this stone crushes it. Well, if it's not made by human hands, who made it? God. But understanding <clears throat> Daniel's vision has to point you back to the original building of the temple where what took place? In, what are the four Jewish beliefs in the temple? The temple beliefs were the, the place of God. This was the microcosm of heaven and earth. The place for the sacrificial worship and the sacrificial priesthood. And Jesus saw it all fulfilled in him. So you see it from the way the first temple was constructed. You see this stone that's made not by human hands. It crushes all the kingdoms. And now Jesus sends everyone out of the court of the Gentiles and suspends what? Everything the temple stood for. Judgment. That stone in Daniel's vision is me. Watch. Matthew 21, 42. Jesus says, have you never read in... Oh, can you imagine a pastor saying this to you? No. Remember, we go to the fellowship hall, we have a little fellowship, and you ask me a question about the, the, the sermon. And I say to you, have you never read in... Isn't that just offensive? It is. And he was offensive. He wanted to offend. You're experts in the law. Have you never read... You memorized the whole thing. Didn't you not understand what you read? The stone the builders, who were the builders? Jews. The stone the builders rejected has become what? The chief cornerstone. Oh, the Lord has done this. What's the stone that was not cut by human hands that came out of the mountain in the Danielic vision? Jesus. Which is a picture of the stones, the original stones on the built the temple that was not shaped by human hands. And he says what? It all pointed to me. The stone now that you have rejected becomes now the chief. What's the chief cornerstone? The chief cornerstone is the building stone that's going to now lay the foundation for the new temple. And the new temple is what? You. As what? Living stones. Living stones that have not been shaped by human hands, but have been shaped by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the ultimate picture of what's taking place as he cleanses the, te the new temple is coming. And I'm the chief cornerstone and I'm going to build the living stones that will make the true temple of God. And they will not be shaped by human hands. It won't be done by your good works. It won't be done by your sacrifice and your giving and your service. It will be done by me. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit and you will be my living stones. I'm it. We're almost there. Watch this. Depends on how you read the scriptures and how you, we believe John is accurate and John says he cleanses it twice. In that cleansing, listen, in John 2, listen to what happens. They're angry, the Jewish religious leaders. Who do you think, I'm just using my own language, who do you think you are? What sign can you show us to prove the authority that you do all this? How dare you interrupt the sacrificial system? Who, who, who do you think you are? Jesus answered them. Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Oh, do you see the depth of the meaning now in the cleansing of the temple? He's not angry and trying to reform their worship. He's rejected it. All of that worship, 1,500 years, day after day, week after week, month after month, bleeding of lamb after bleeding of lamb, pointed to me, and I'm here and you reject me. And I now reject you. Destroy this temple. They're thinking only physical. Destroy this temple. And I will raise it again in three days. And they said, 46 years to build this temple. And you, you're going to raise it in three days? And what was he speaking about? It's Jesus. How do we close? Jesus is the true and greater everything in Scripture. Everything. We'll just give you three. He's the greater temple. Matthew 12, 6. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. How, this is a veiled reference to himself. How could he say something? The temple represented the, the, the dwelling place of God. The temple represented the, the cosmos, the heavens and the earth. The temple represented the sacrificial system and the sacrificial priesthood. How could you say that something greater than the, What in the world could be greater than the temple where God dwells? the dwelling God of the temple. You're looking at the place where God dwells and I'm showing you the dwelling God of the temple. The Shekinah glory of God departed the building 560 years ago and it's back and you can't see it because you're blinded by your own self-righteousness. You can't see it. But something greater than the temple is here. What does he say in John 1.14? In the Greek, the Greek word is tabernacle. The word became flesh and tabernacle. Do you see the connection between the, tab the Garden of Eden, the tabernacle, the temple, and the true temple? The word became, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And in verse 14, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He's the greater temple. He's also the greater priesthood. Hebrews 9.11, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. Pause. Just, just stay there for a moment. Do you, do you, does that not take you back to the beginning? You see the stones that were not formed by human hands? And those stones pointed to the, to, the, to the stone in Daniel's vision that was cut from the mountain, not by human hands. And then Jesus comes and he says, I'm the chief cornerstone and I've been made not by human hands. So now we see what? 
He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of the creation. You know how many people think that they're just part of God and God is part of the all and, and when we breathe our last we're just going to go back into the all and we're doing hum. I, I used to believe that Lauren knows he knows the stuff I used to believe witnessing to me when he was in middle school we just talked about it this morning I believed all that craziness God is not part of the creation God is the creator now he's engaged in his creation but I don't think he's part of the creation hum. he, he He's not part of it. He's the creator of it. And, and he's the greater priest. He's the fulfillment of the entire... It started where? Abraham had a, Moses had a brother named Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest. Aaron's high priesthood finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Okay? But what's one more? What's the greater sacrifice? Hebrews 9.12. He did not enter by the means of the blood of bulls and goats, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal... We could just spend weeks on this one passage. Not the blood of the bulls and the goats. Whose blood? His blood. The sacrificial system has ended. You know there's no sacrifice today. The temple would have to be rebuilt for sacrifice to start up again. There is no temple. The temple is over. The sacrifice is over. Jesus is... <laughs> you have to have an understanding of how to read the Scripture, right? And you think, you come to the Scriptures and sometimes you read them, you read stories and you look at them as like little moralistic stories and try to figure out where do I fit in there and, 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 and who am I in these stories. And we get to an understanding when you read a passage like this that the Bible has really nothing to do with us. Sometimes we look at David and we say, well, David conquered Goliath. And we tell the kids, be strong like David and, and you'll conquer Goliath. And those are good stories. That's fine. We can do those things. But what's the golden thread that runs through all of Scripture? Jesus is the true and greater what? Adam, Abel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jesus is the true and greater Joseph and Job and David. Jesus is the true and greater Moses and Esther. Jesus is it. The Bible isn't about us. It's about him. And everything finds its fulfillment in Christ. And now we get to the very end. And the court of the Gentiles. Remember, the Gentiles were looked at as dogs. And remember those little placards. Go any further and your death will be on your own heads. We're going to kill you if you cross this line. What happens when Jesus gives up the ghost on Good Friday? Oh, don't miss this. At that moment... The curtain of the temple, pause, what was on the curtain of the temple? We read it earlier. It was a picture of the cosmos, the heavens and the earth. Scholarship records that for us, and we read it in the Psalms. So now, now you have a, remember number two, the, pic, the cosmos of the, what happens when the veil is torn? It's the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth. The old is now beginning to pass away. But what happens when that curtain comes down for the Gentile and for that matter for the Jew? You now have access to God. 24-7, 365 days a year and you don't need a priest. 
and you don't need a sacrifice, and you don't need a temple. Because I'm it. And that veil being torn takes us back to that temple being cleansed when he temporarily shut that system down, pointing to the judgment that was to come in his death, burial, and resurrection. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I promise you, I'll raise it again. And he did just that. And now with outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, guess who says come? You are invited to come to the true temple, the true high priest, the true sacrifice of God. Come to Christ by grace, grace through faith, not through your good works, not through any sacrificial service that you've provided to Jesus, none of that. By grace through faith, you come to Christ. You're invited into a living Eternal redemption, he says. I have provided it for you. You need only receive it. Will you receive it today? If you're watching by way of the internet, will you simply trust in Christ alone? He's the fulfillment of everything that Scripture points to. Most importantly, he's your Savior. And he opens the way back into the garden. Back to God through himself. Let's pray. Father, if there's anyone here or by way of the internet who has never, ever surrendered control to Christ, make this a word of salvation, Lord. Give the gift of repentance and faith. Raise them from death to life. Father, we would ask right now that if there's anyone who's never prayed to receive Christ, this would be the perfect moment for that. They're not saved by a prayer. We're never saved by a profession of faith. We're saved by the possession of it. And faith is a gift a gift from God. So we'd ask that you would give anyone who would cry out now these words, God, I heard the truth today. I heard the gospel. I believe Jesus is the true sacrifice, the true temple, the true high priest. And I cry out to you, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I know that I need a sacrifice and I cannot pay the way myself. And salvation, if you prayed that simple prayer, God, just be merciful to me, please, oh God. I repent of my sins. Salvation is yours today. And Lord, for the rest of us, help us to see the depth of the Scripture so that we will be strengthened in our faith. You would grow us up into Christ and we would become instruments of salvation and sanctification in your mighty right hand. And all these things we ask in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.